number of people who are traveling to places where the eclipse is supposed to be, you know, you're going to get a good view of it. I, I've been amazed. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm not as impressed about these kind of things as I should be, but I told Julie I wouldn't travel 10 miles to see it, but some people are traveling from around the world, so... And, you know, I'll take whatever view I can get from right here where I live in Colorado. How about you? Gail, come and read the scripture to us this morning. Thank you. Stay in your seats a moment. Matthew 13, verses 22 through 24. This scripture that we're going to read, as you see on the wall now, uh, can be found in the Pew Bible on page 1190, 1190. Now you'd say, well, I don't need to, I can read the wall. Yes, you can. That will work fine. But there's more beyond the scripture. When something starts with, therefore, I think I've walked into the middle of a conversation. Yeah, yeah, therefore what? (laughs) And in chapter 10, the first 19 verses talk about Christ's sacrifice once for all. Once for all. And the contrast is drawn here that the annual offerings for sin, for forgiveness, of sacrificed bulls, goats, scapegoats, Those were reminders once a year of sin. And they said, we've got to visit this again. So there's much to read in the first 19 verses. And if you want, I would urge you to read them. It is a remarkable story summarized in just a few verses. Now will you stand for the reading of the word, please? Thank you. Starting in verse 19, we'll read through 25. A call to to persevere. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart of full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. A man who's been married for 41 years, come the second shining of the sun tomorrow, speak to us. Thank you. 
We had no idea when we planned our our wedding on August 21st that in 2017 we would be in competition with a total eclipse of the sun. Uh, where our kids live in northeast Oregon, they're telling them it's kind of a shelter in place uh, tomorrow because there's such an incredible influx in that part of it. It's supposed to be one of the areas where it's going to be seen the very best. You'll get to see it 100% there. and Yeah. Well, in eastern Oregon, it probably won't be cloudy. If you go to the coast, you're taking your chances. You never know. I'm 41 years of marriage, and it's been... It's been great. I did better than I ever thought I would do. Um, and uh, here's the good news. You know, uh, many of you know that we're kind of waiting for a phone call from our, our youngest daughter, Amy, out in, in Vancouver, Washington. Uh, she's, she's due to uh, bring a new life into the world sometime soon. Um, it's supposed to happen this week. And we're hoping that the baby will cooperate. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. <laughs> I've made plans for the next two Sundays, but I, I don't know. I might be here next Sunday. It depends. Uh, we'll have to wait and see on that one. Here's the good news. You know, Julie and I raised three daughters together. I'm the oldest of three boys. I have three daughters my brother, just younger than me, Mark, Mark, has two daughters. My youngest brother, David, has two daughters. We, we struck completely out when it came to uh, male progeny. So our, but our daughters are coming through. Our middle daughter has had a boy, and Amy is due to have a boy. So we're excited about that. Um, the, the last couple of weeks, this week, and then one in, in, whenever I get to preach the next message, we're talking about things we keep on doing. Remember, we're kind of in a place as a church congregation where we're waiting on God. We believe that God has something in store for the Longmont Church of the Nazarene. But waiting isn't just sitting back and doing nothing, is it? There are things that we need to keep on doing while we wait. And we talked about we, the need to pray, the need to serve, and today we're going to talk about the need to show, which is kind of strange because the need to show is all about showing up for, for worship service. And so in that regard, I guess I'm praying to the, I, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir today because you're here. So you've already obeyed the truth of Scripture this morning just by your presence here. But I'm going to go ahead and preach it anyway. Um, you know, I don't know how, how important it is to you to beat the other churches to your favorite restaurant. But, you know, we want it to be the normal race it is after you get out of here on Sunday morning. So three pastors got together for coffee one day and found all their churches had a bat infestation problem. So one pastor said, I got so mad, I took a shotgun and fired at them. It made holes in the ceiling, but did nothing to the bats. <laughs> Next pastor said, I tried trapping them alive. Then I drove 50 miles before releasing them, but they beat me back to the church. <laughs> I, haven't had, uh, I haven't had any more problems, said the third pastor. What did you do? asked the others, amazed. Well... I simply made them members, he replied, and I haven't seen them since. 
I've actually had that happen a few times. <laughs> so, to make it possible for everyone to attend church, how about a special no excuse Sunday? So here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to place cots in the foyer for those who say Sunday is my only day to sleep in. You can just do it right here. Um, there will be a special section with lounge chairs for those who feel that our pews are not comfortable enough. Eye drops will be available for those with tired eyes from watching TV late Saturday night. Especially when the Broncos don't get finished playing until 11 o'clock. Or... We'll have... This is probably isn't true for many of you, but we'll have steel helmets for those who say the roof would cave in if I ever came to church. You've heard that before, haven't you? Blankets will be furnished for those who think the church is too cold. And fans for those who say it's too hot. And boy, we is there an ideal temperature in any church on the planet? We will distribute stamp-out stewardship buttons for those who feel the church is always asking for money. You've heard that before, haven't you? Well, the church is always asking for money. One section will be devoted to trees and grass for those who like to seek God in nature. That way you can come do it right here. Doctors and nurses will be in attendance for those who plan to be sick next Sunday. The sanctuary will be... I like this one. The sanctuary will be decorated with both Christmas poinsettias and Easter lilies for those who have never seen the church without them. And we will provide hearing aids for those who can't hear the preacher and cotton for those who can't. <laughs> and you've seen it. Uh, uh, Bernice had it on the church sign. Church. What is... It's C-H blank C-H. What is missing? You are. That's been on the, on the uh, sign all week. But too often that's true even among committed Christians. The you are is missing. You know, um, we've been going to these uh, church revitalization um, conferences that our district has been sponsoring, and they've talked about that. And we, we live in a different culture than many of us grew up. You know, for us, growing up, it was like if the church doors were open, we were there. It really didn't matter what was happening. And that was, you know, back when we had Sunday morning and Sunday evening and Wednesday night. And revival services lasted for two weeks. And if a missionary came, everybody came to hear him and all that kind of thing. And it's, our culture's changed. A lot of it has to do with the busyness of our culture and, and so many other distractions out there. Uh, a lot of people feel there are better options. So they told us, well... And I think we realize this for a lot of people, regular attendance is once or twice a month. When I grew up, regular attendance was every time the church was open. Now, for many, it's once or twice a month. And, and they said at one point that if you're going to have a consistent Sunday attendance of 100, you need at least 200 regular attenders. So what do we do about church? Well, the first thing we do is we show up. We show up. It's simple, I know, but it's the hinge on which all the other points I'm going to make today hang. 
Everything I'll t- talk about t- today is contingent upon showing up. And so, we need to understand that Christians have a biblical mandate to faithfully attend church. Christians have a biblical mandate to faithfully attend church. Did you know that Jesus attended church regularly? In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it says, and this is from the NIV, and I'm going to read this in, in about four different translations because I want you to get the idea here of regular attendance, okay? Uh, Luke 4.16, it says, speaking of Jesus, he went to Nazareth. That was the home church. It's the church he grew up in, right? Jesus of Nazareth. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue church, that was his church, as was his custom. All right? That's the NIV. Um, Common English Bible. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been raised. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue as he normally did and stood up to read. So we've got as was his custom and as he normally did. New Living Translation. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. So we've got as was his custom, as he normally did, as usual. Finally, the New Century Version. Jesus traveled to Nazareth where he had grown up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue as he always did and stood up to read. Get the picture? (laughs) As was his custom, as he normally did, as usual, as he always did. And in some versions, it says, as was his habit. Jesus went to church. He always did. So it was Jesus' practice to be in church, in the synagogue, on the Sabbath, which now we were in church on Sunday. And so it seems to me that Jesus was providing for us an example of what our practice or habit should be in regard to church attendance. Listen, if it was important to Jesus to be in church every Sunday, how much more important do you think it should be for us? C.S. Lewis said this, The New Testament does not picture solitary religion. Some kind of regular assembly for worship and instruction is everywhere taken for granted in the epistles. It's taken for granted. That's... In fact, this, this passage that was read today, and let us consider how we may spur one another, uh, spur on one another toward love and good deeds, and let us not giving, give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Some have thought, well, some are getting, some are getting into the habit of meeting together. That's not what he's saying. It's assumed that you would meet together. What he's saying is some are getting into the habit of not meeting together. They're developing a bad habit, the writer to Hebrews is saying. And so um, C.S. Lewis is agreeing with that. 
It's, it's just taken for granted. It's assumed in the New Testament that we will meet together regularly. So we must, we must be regular practicing members of the church. This is C.S. Lewis. Of course, we differ in temperament. I think we understand that. Some of you, like you and me, find it more natural to approach God in solitude. But we must go to church as well. For the church is not a human society of people united by their natural affinities, but the body of Christ, in which all members, however different, and he rejoices in their differences, and by no means wishes to iron them out. He's speaking of God. Some of us would like to iron out those differences. So, how, in which all members, however different, must share the common life, complementing and helping one another precisely by their differences. Yeah. A man in the army of Alexander the Great, who was also named Alexander was accused of cowardly actions. He was brought before Alexander, who asked what his name was. He replied softly, Alexander. I can't hear you, the ruler stated. The man said again a little louder, Alexander. The process was repeated one more time, after which Alexander the Great commented, either change your name or change your conduct. And here's the point. We need to think twice if we call ourselves Christians and neglect the church. So we need to show up. And listen, to neglect the church is to neglect Jesus himself. To neglect the church is to neglect Jesus himself. In Acts chapter 8, we read about Saul. And this is verses 1 through 3. One through three, and it says, And Saul was there giving approval to his death. This is the death of Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the, the church at Jerusalem. A great persecution broke out against the church. Keep that in your mind. At Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Now fast forward to chapter 9. Okay? And now we're, we're having the encounter that Paul has with Jesus Christ. And it says, he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Back to chapter 8. A great persecution broke out against the church. Back to chapter 9. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Get the connection? Who are you, sir? Saul asked, and the, re- and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. You persecute the church, you persecute Jesus. You ignore the church, you ignore Jesus. You neglect the church, you neglect Jesus. Ephesians 5, verses 29 and 30 says, No one hates his own body, but lovingly cares for it. Just as Christ cares for his body which is 
the church. And we are his body. In Romans chapter 12 verses 4 and 5 it says, Just as each of us has one body with many members, so we who are in Christ form one body, and each member has its own function. Folks, we're all part of this thing together. And listen, I can't, so we're all members of the same body, right? Each part has its own function. Agreed? What part of your body are you willing to leave behind? You see what I'm saying? When the church comes together, it's the body coming together. What part of the body are we willing to leave behind? Well, that part, the foot can stay home today. You see what I'm saying? The foot, the foot can stay, oh, we'll limp into church today. The hand can stay home today. We won't shake hands this morning because the hand stayed home. The eye stayed home today. Oh, that'd be ugly. You know, um, when Paul went to open the door for you, he might open it right into you because the eye stayed home today. Do you see what I'm saying? Listen, when we come together, each part of the body is needed. There's no part that can stay home today. So to neglect the church is not only to neglect Jesus, but it's to neglect ourselves as well. A churchgoer wrote a letter to the editor of a newspaper and complained that it made no sense to go to church every Sunday. I've gone for 30 years now, he wrote, and in that time I've heard something like 3,000 sermons, which reminds me of a guy on the, in our church on the coast who sat right here on the front row, and he'd grown up in a preacher's home. And I don't know if he thought he'd heard every sermon that could be preached, but... He slept every Sunday right here. And his wife would go, you know that deal, don't you? Yeah. I've gone to church for 30 years now, he wrote, and in that time I've heard something like 3,000 sermons, but for the life of me, I can't remember a single one of them. So, I think I'm wasting my time And the pastors are wasting theirs by giving sermons at all. Make my life a lot easier, I guess. This started a real controversy in the letters to the editor column, which made the editor quite delighted. You know, that's fun. It went on for weeks until someone wrote this clincher. I have been married for 30 years now. In that time, my wife has cooked some 32,000 meals. For the life of me, I cannot remember the entire menu for a single one of those meals. But I do know this. They nourished me and gave me the strength I needed to do my work. If my wife had not given me these meals, I would be physically dead today. Likewise, had I not gone to church for nourishment, I would be spiritually dead today. There's a story about a man who missed church for a number of weeks. And I think you made reference to this little illustration recently, Irene. The preacher had often called him and asked where he was, but the man kept putting the preacher off. Finally, one day, the preacher stopped by for a visit on a cold winter day. 
The man was sitting in front of his fireplace and welcomed the preacher and tried to engage him in conversation. However, the minister didn't say much. He just walked over to the fireplace, pulled one of the logs away from the flames, and then went and sat down. They sat there in silence for the longest time watching the fire. And as they watched, the log that he pulled off by itself, the fire on it began to smolder, and then it went out. The preacher and the man sat for a long time looking into the fireplace, and finally the man said, Okay, I'll be in church next Sunday. So we need to show up. We need to show up. The next thing we need to do is back up. And the devil has his sights set squarely on the church and we must be ready to defend it, to back it up. We've got this uh, thing we say now, I've got your back, right? I've got your back. We need to have the church's back. Matthew 16:18. Now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And we need to believe that. And we need to stand firm. And we need to back... You know, the church suffers a lot of criticism in our culture and in our world. Earlier in his life, Gandhi was actually considering becoming a Christian. He was attracted by the life and teachings of Jesus. Gandhi attended the services of a church in Pretoria, South Africa. He later wrote, The congregation did did not strike me as being particularly religious. They were not an assembly of devout souls, but appeared to be rather worldly-minded people going to church for recreation and in conformity to custom. Christianity, he concluded, could not add anything of value to Hinduism, so he turned away from Jesus to his own loss and to the loss of the many who followed after him. You know, there is a lot of skepticism skepticism toward the church in the world we live in. It's become the target of much criticism. And sometimes, because of the actions and attitudes of the church, that criticism is just. On the other hand, the church has in many cases become a target because of its stand for biblical truth. And when that truth contradicts what has become culturally acceptable, then the church is subject to attack and we must be able to defend it. It's a matter of knowing what you believe and why you believe it and being able to articulate those things in a way that is gracious and does not come across in religious speak. Do you know what I mean? We need to be able to speak in the language of our culture, don't we? And for many of us, I know that's like a foreign language, but it's still, we're missionaries. We have to learn to speak the language. So we back up. We stand behind the church. We believe in it. We defend it. And then we add up. As members of God's house, we are to do what we can to fill His house. Luke 14, 23. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house is full. Now, I've kidded our greeters at the door sometimes about, Listen, you need to go out and and, and lay your bodies across uh, Frontier Street so people have to turn in the church driveway. Well, 
We're not going to go out there and do something like that. We're not going to grab people who's walking by on the sidewalk and drag them in. But, but there's something about the way we live our lives. And Dave, you, you'd made a good point of this in Sunday school this morning. It's about building relationships with people. They need to know who we are as Christ followers, don't they? Because there's a lot of misconceptions about people who love and follow Jesus. And if we don't enter into relationships with people who, who don't know Christ, they may never know what a Christian is like. And then when, when, they, when they get to know us and, and we're attractive in a spiritual sense, then we have the opportunity to invite them to come join us in the church where we worship. The problem is, though, too many in God's houses, churches, too many of God's houses are being filled with folks who have grown unhappy with one church and moved to another. It's not, it's not people who are unchurched. It's people who are churched and just got disgruntled with something that happened or something that was said or, you know, they painted the walls the wrong color or, you know, and I'm out of here. And, and, and I would say, and unfortunately, that the vast majority of those moves are made without prayerful consideration and, over, and, and not over issues of biblical truth. Most of the time, it's over an issue of personal preference or something like that. And there's... We had a, we had a man come to our church a number of years ago who who had a great voice, and he had a song called, Don't You Be Doing That Church Hop. I, I wish I had it to play for this morning. But listen, we see it happening too often. It's like shift, 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 shift. Listen, folks, the, the church is to be filled as we are faithful to the Great Commission. And are Christ witnesses in the world where we live. And it happens when we're truly concerned about people who don't know Jesus as Savior. We're truly concerned about lost people. And understand what it means for us to be ministers of reconciliation. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Paul writes, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's our call. That's how we need to be filling the church. Not with someone who said, you know what, I'm not happy where I am now, or I, didn't, I don't like the preacher there, or, you know, the pews aren't comfortable, or they didn't serve the cookies I liked last Sunday, or something like that. We want to be, if we're going to fill the church, we want it to be because we're building the kingdom. We want it to be because we're introducing people to Jesus Christ. We know what it means to be witnesses for Christ in the world where we live, and we take seriously the ministry of reconciliation. Then the next thing we need to do is lift up. We 
must avoid the temptation to criticize the church and look for opportunities to compliment the church. Man, it's easy to find fault, isn't it? Just way too easy to find fault. And let's be honest, there's usually honest, there's usually fault to be found. There's fault to be found. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And guess what? Jesus knew that his church would not be perfect. But as a, a, a pastor from New Church Specialties said, the church is plan A and there is no other. God did not say, well, listen, if you don't like the way the church works, let's try this, plan B. No. God knew the church would not be perfect, but He's still 100% behind it. It's His deal. It's His plan. It's His way of reaching the world. And folks, we need to be able to lift it up. Jesus thought the church was so important that He gave His life for it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sad what we can become critical about, isn't it? And, you know, what's, what's that thing they say is someone who has a, a gripe or a critical tends to share with 15 others. Now you understand why churches have problems sometimes. But if we could just find ways to say, you know what, I can deal with that. Let's try to be as positive as possible about the church that we're a part of. Listen, if you do have a criticism or complaint, keep it in the family. You know what I mean? Keep it in the family. Don't be sharing it with the neighbors. It only gives one more reason for the world to be critical of the church. And we've done a lot, haven't we, as the church of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about us specifically, but the church in general. We've done a lot to shoot ourselves right in the foot. You've heard of these horrible blow-ups in churches, and it, you know, it even makes the national news sometimes that, you know, pastors that go down in flames because of immorality and things like that. People look at that and they say, I don't need that. Why would I want to be involved in the church? We need to find ways to complement the church. A pastor shared this story. He said, 100 years of Christian fellowship, unity, and community outreach ended last Tuesday in an act of congregational discord. Holy Creek Baptist Church was split into multiple factions. This is one of these sad stories that I was talking about that impacts the world we're trying to reach in a negative way. The source of dissension is a piano bench. There you go. That's a reason to take your stand right there. The source of dissension is a piano bench which still sits behind the 1923 Steinway piano to the left of the pulpit. Members and friends at Holy Creek Baptist say that the old bench was always a source of hostility. Well, I'm going to defend the faith. People should have seen this coming. At present, Holy Creek Congregation will be having four services each Sunday. Not because they've grown, 
There has been an agreement mediated by an outside pastor so that each faction, four of them, will have its own separate service with its own separate pastor. That's got to have a positive impact on their community, huh? Since the head pastor is not speaking to the associate pastors, each will have their own service, which will be attended by their particular faction. The services are far enough apart that neither group will have to come in contact with each other. That's because we love each other so much, right? An outside party will be moving the piano bench to different locations and appropriate positions between services so as to to please both sides and avoid any further conflict that could result in violence. Well, well. Good thing they're all Christians. You know what I love? I love have you seen those bumper stickers that say, I love my church? I've seen t-shirts. The ones I really like best are the ones that say, I love my pastor. But I'll take an I love my church one. (laughs) Be proud of the church. Be complimentary of the church. Speak well of the church. Listen, this is God's design to reach the world. And we don't need to give the world any more opportunities to be critical or skeptical of the church. And then we need to step up. We need to step up. We've, um, last week, this is kind of re-emphasis is what I, uh, of what I talked about last week, and we need to serve. We who are the church are called to serve in and through the church. Again, from the passage last week, 1 Peter 4.10, As each one has received a special gift, employing it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We've all been given something that we can use in service to one another. So the church is a great avenue for service. By God's design. Opportunities for leadership, accountability, support. An opportunity. Remember Watchman Nee? You've heard of Watchman Nee? He said this, Alone I cannot serve the Lord effectively, and He will spare no pains to teach me this. Alone I cannot serve the Lord effectively, and He will spare no pains to teach me this. He will bring things to an end, allowing doors to close and leaving me ineffectively knocking my head against a wall until I realize that I need the help of the body as well as the Lord. We need each other. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You know what Dave is talking about there, don't you? The one that's, that's, well, the the eclipse is supposed to kind of usher in or herald. The end. The end. The day approaching. The day of Christ's return. Do not give up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing. Some are developing the habit of not meeting together. But let us encourage one another and all the more. Meet together and encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you think the day might be a little closer than when this was written? 
just a little bit closer. So it sounds to me like the writer to Hebrews is saying, listen, as the day gets closer, you need to be more consistent about meeting together. And it seems to me in too many cases, just the opposite is happening. One pastor writes this, I was in a supermarket one day and a lady came down the aisle whom I could barely see over the top of her groceries. I got somewhat frightened because she seemed to be heading straight for me. She screeched to a halt within a few feet of me, peered over her load, wagged her finger and said, I left your church, I left your church. So I said, well, if it's my church, I think that was a very good idea. If it's my church, I think I'm going to leave too. She said, don't you want to know why I left? I said, no, not particularly, but I think I'm going to find out. (laughs) And I was right. She said, you weren't meeting my needs. I answered, I don't ever recollect seeing you before, let alone talking to you, let alone knowing your needs. Did you ever tell anyone specifically what your needs were? She couldn't recall that she had. So I raised another question. Can you tell me? If we have a five, if we have 5,000 people sitting in that church, all with your attitude, how are anyone's needs going to be met? If you reserve the right to have that attitude, then you must give everybody the freedom to have that same attitude. And if everybody has that attitude, who on earth is going to do all the need meeting? Good question, I think. Standing her ground, she demanded, then you tell me who will. Relieved, I said, I thought you'd never ask. This is what will work. When people stop sitting in the pew saying they're not meeting my needs and start saying, whose needs can I meet, then needs will be met. When the servant spirit flourishes in a congregation, then they, they minister to each other as unto the Lord. So, what do we need to do? Show up. That's the first thing we need to do. And then when we show up, we need to back up. We need to add up. We need to lift up. And we need to step up. And if we do those things, you know what I think? I think our church will grow. And I think we'll be the kind of church that Jesus designed us to be. Would you agree? Good answer. Let's pray. Jesus, this is your church, and I need to remind myself of that often. I know it's easy for me to think, well, it's my church, I pastor it. And and that can lead to two problems. One is, when things are going well, I can think, well, I'm responsible for that. And when things are not going well, I can think, well, I'm responsible for that. My job's to be obedient and to do what you tell me to do. And really, that's the job of all of us. We're all members of the body of Christ. The body of Christ. You are the head. The head tells the body what to do. And we need to understand how important this thing we call the church is, the body of Christ. That we're all members of it. And there's not a part that we can do without. And each part needs to be present all the time. 
in order to function properly, correctly, effectively. So for fathers, just the start of the whole thing, may we be committed to show up. I know we have reasons. Sometimes we really are. You know, people are in the hospital. People are too sick to come. And people take a vacation or break. That's great. But Lord God, there are so many things in our world that can be distractions, that are ungodly distractions. It's a lure of the devil to pull us away from that which is much more important than that other thing that we might think is a better option or would lure us away. Oh God, may we be so committed to the body of Christ, your church, that we're going to be here whenever we can because we know how important it is. And then to back it up, we're going to stand against some of the false ideas and the, and. And, and the skepticism that our world has. We're going to do everything in our power to be vibrant, attractive witnesses, ministers of reconciliation in our world. We're going to lift up the church. We're going to have positive, complimentary things to say about it. We're not going to get involved in this muck and mire that tears some churches apart. We just will refuse to go there. And then we're going to step up and do everything we can to serve within the context of the church and the ministries of the church, whether they're inside the walls or outside the walls. And Lord God, I believe when we do those things, we truly will be your church as you've designed us to be. So Father, may each one of us take away from this today whatever you're speaking to our hearts about. And not just merely listening to your voice, but obeying your voice whatever that would mean for each one of us. And thank you that you're faithful through your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. And now we ask your blessing upon us as we go. And Father, we would look to the future with hope and belief and faith and vision, saying, why not us? We can do this, Lord God, because nothing is impossible for you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.